You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, June 6th, 2022. This is episode number 295. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about Bill Maher's prediction that the GOP will steal the, elect- the legalization debate. Bernie Sanders wanting to forget cannabis and go after Wall Street, the industry's need to get its marketing act together, California is getting serious about unpaid taxes, how cannabis can increase empathy, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico? All right, so my story was uh, originally on Common Dreams by CommonDreams.org by Jake Johnson. And Sanders says, forget marijuana, go after Wall Street. Senator Bernie Sanders, a lifelong proponent of following the money, needs our help. Speaking the language of the people, as he always has, in an email to supporters Friday, the Vermont senator suggested the Justice Department should be cracking down on corporate crime instead of focusing on cannabis users. Promoting a petition calling on Congress to pass le- uh, legislation measure, Sanders highlighted the disproportionate number of people arrested for for possession being poor and of color, making the case for legalization as an issue of both criminal and economic justice. Of course, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he'd prioritize the issue, but he still hasn't unveiled his mythical COAOA in the upper chamber after repeated promises to do so since late last year. But he says he's continuously holding talks with both parties, and he will secure the 60 votes needed for it to pass. Right. In April, the House once again approved legislation to decriminalize nationwide and expunge federal cannabis convictions via the Moore Act. But we all know that shit's DOA in the Senate as well. But adult use is currently legal in 19 states and D.C., and 37 states have legalized medical access. The article also points out while overall U.S. arrests fell substantially in 2020, there were still an estimated 350,150 cannabis-related offenses that year. In 2019, police arrested 545,602 people for cannabis-related violations, 92% being for possession. On the other hand, prosecutions for corporate and white-collar crime dropped uh, to record lows. Syracuse University's uh, Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse revealed federal white-collar prosecutions in 2021 were down 24.4% compared to five years earlier. Public Citizen reported this April their analysis showed just 90 corporations either pleaded or were found guilty of federal crimes that year, last year. The letter read, 
We need to start prosecuting the crooks on Wall Street for laundering money from drug cartels, suspected terrorists, and corrupt foreign officials. When you fill out an application for a job, one of the first questions you're asked is whether or not you have criminal record. It is extremely unfair for people to be denied jobs because they were once arrested for smoking marijuana. Enough is enough. We must reform our broken and racist criminal justice system, and one of the ways we can do that is finally legalizing marijuana on the federal level. Good news in recent years, we've been we've seen state after state decriminalized communities expunge the criminal records related to marijuana offenses. What we are now seeing is radical change of consciousness among American people on the issue. So now the time has come for Congress and the federal government to end the war on drugs and legalize marijuana nationwide. He goes on, but uh, for sake of time, got to wrap that up. Um, well, at 75 years old, the people's favorite ran for president in 2016, but voters on the fence said that he was too old and too radical, choosing an unlikable 69-year-old empty suit Hillary Clinton to take on a 70 years young moderate Donald Trump instead. You know how that worked out. In 2020, many of Bernie's radical ideas were adopted as campaign uh, campaign pledges for candidates on both sides, but career South Carolina representative Jim Clyburn's endorsement of Joe Biden all but ended all talks of supporting the most consistent legislator of all time from a Democratic Party standpoint. So heading into 2022 midterms and soon after the 2024 presidential race, should he do it again? Sure, he'll be 83, but he seems to at least be in better shape than both Trump and Biden, physically. I'm interested in hearing what y'all think it would take for voters to actually take Bernie Sanders seriously. There's Rico Lemite, dopest dad on the street, for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I spend way too much time wondering what our world would be like if Bernie would have been our president. Uh, Just, man, we we really missed out on something great. It really sucks. I'd vote for his old ass at 83 years old. <laughs> if he makes it I would too. I'd I would too. My my dad is 93 years old and he is sharp as a tack. I'd believe him if he said he was going to retire. You'd believe him? I would believe him if he said he was going to retire. I mean, Jason, Bernie Sanders has been consistent throughout his life. It, the fact that you would say that you, you might not believe him not, on something? has not been consistent throughout his life. That is not a reality, okay? This man has multiple homes in multiple places. Don't Do not buy into that hype. Oh, my God. So he has multiple homes in multiple, uh, um, in multiple places. That means that um, he's not a viable candidate. So what is that multiple homes? So no, what? no, that's not what I'm saying. The point, the point is, is that he, he doesn't practice what he preaches, is what I'm saying. He's, he's, Bernie can he's, be bought. That's what Jason is saying. Bernie was bought by Hillary. He was bought again by Biden. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you, Gretchen. Um, without The issue it, is without, what Bernie's without, without, standing for, not whether Bernie's personality. What, what Rico is asking about is what Bernie stands for and what he's bringing up right now. That's tough. And we're suggesting, I'm suggesting, and I'm sure Jason is suggesting that you can't believe a word that comes out of Bernie's mouth because he's just like every politician. He can be bought for the right price. I don't care what you think. Bernie can be bought. Once again, the question is not about Bernie's personality. The question is about our issue. Back down. Yeah, well, what what makes yeah what makes you even take that stance on Bernie Sanders when when the, the politicians that you guys are supporting do way worse and they continuously go back on everything that they say and they're continuously, and they're bought, continuously out bought out by corporations. Corporate. I'm suggesting that this man had the popular vote. He was the front runner and just managed to step aside for no reason because of the goodness of his heart for the party. That's some horse shit. The man was bought out. So why would I trust that he can't? What is wrong with you today? What is wrong with you today? What are you not hearing? What are you not hearing? I hear exactly what y'all are saying. The issue is about the question at hand. What's wrong with you? The issue is totally about Bernie. And if you want Bernie to be your president, get used to some socialism. Feel the burn. Feel the burn. Let's keep smoking the news. I love debates that have substance. (laughs) A week and a half ago, yeah, a week and a half ago, the industry's longest continuously operating retailer packed his bags, gassed up the private jet with what he says is non-subsidized jet fuel from Russia. He touched down in socialist paradise, that is the United Kingdom, to chat with the, uh, at the Jubilee for 70 years with the Queen and ride around in Range Rovers. 
and teach her about boof. Jason Beck, what you got for us today across the pond? Oh, yeah, that's right, Rico. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. And Gretchen, you're going to love this story because Dr. Oz faces John Fetterman in an unprecedented Senate race and cannabis is on the table. Celebrity Dr. Dr. Hemet Oz officially became Pennsylvania's Republican Senate candidate when he when when his opponent, Dave McCormick, conceded on Friday, despite Oz's razor thin lead of less than a thousand votes. Oz will now face Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman in what's expected to be one of the most watched and most expensive Senate races in U.S. history. Oz endorsed by President Trump and and Fetterman, a progressive giant, are seeking to fill the open Senate seat by vacating, but being vacated by Senator Pat Toomey, Republican, and by doing so, gain control of the 50-50 U.S. Senate. Scientific American, the oldest continuously published magazine in the U.S., says that Dr. Oz should not be a senator nor a doctor, that his brand of misinformation has already tarnished medicine and will do much worse in the halls of Congress. Dr. Oz has long pushed misleading science, free and unproven alternative therapies such as homeopathy, as well as fad diets, detoxes and cleanses. Some of these things have been potentially harmful, including hydroxychloroquine, which he once touted would be beneficial in the treatment and prevention of COVID-19. The assertion has been thoughtfully debunked. In addition to this lucrative evidence-free advice, Oz recently said that legalizing adult-use cannabis in Pennsylvania would make people lose their motivation to go to work. There are not enough Pennsylvanians to work in Pennsylvania, so giving them pot so they stay at home is not, I don't think, an ideal move, he told Newsmax, though it's not clear how Oz came to that particular conclusion and again he's talking to newsmax so you know whatever whatever he's talking about doesn't really matter the unemployment rate in pennsylvania was 4.9 percent in march and more than 80 percent of jobs lost since the pandemic began have been recovered according to an official government website oz also warned against fostering an emotional addiction to cannabis i don't want young people to think they have to smoke a joint uh, to to get out of their house in the morning he said we need to get Pennsylvanians back at work, and you got to give them their mojo, and I don't want marijuana to be a hindrance to that. And Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, who supports legalizing cannabis, is still recovering from a stroke he suffered days before he won the May primary. And as has since undergone a, a pacemaker implant procedure, he has not yet returned to the campaign trail except for video appearances. This past Friday, Fetterman released a statement saying he, he should have taken his health more seriously, and that he had not seen a doctor in five years. Well, I'll tell you what, sounds like Dr. Hemant Oz is going to be your next senator in Pennsylvania, whether you like it or not. And this is Jason Beck reporting live from Buckingham Palace for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Jason, so what do you think that's that's going to do for safe banking if uh, Dr. Oz is in the Senate? Dr. Oz is a supporter of safe banking. Dr. Oz will support anything that Donald Trump tells him to support. Dr. Oz is a carpetbagger that will never get past the Pennsylvania voters. 100%. You know what's crazy He's going to win this race by a landslide. This guy isn't going to even be able to compete. He's already sick. So was Donald Trump, but he competed, didn't he? Must have been that hydroxy. Donald, Donald Trump was never I, I, I don't know if I uh, agree with you there, Jason. I might have to go with Christopher Smith on this. I think... Dr. Oz is going to have a very tough battle to try and become uh, Pennsylvania's next senator. Pennsylvanians don't like him. Uh, they think that he is a carpetbagger. They think he makes up all the bullshit. I mean, you see an ad of him walking around TV carrying a gun, talking about how much he cares about gun rights and he's been shooting all his life. And the man looks like he's never picked up a gun before in a, uh, one day. Um, Fetterman handily won uh, his race. And that was a week after the man had a stroke. Um, he won by a ton. So I do think that folks will come out and vote for him. Um, Oz has really got to get the center of the state to come out and vote for him because he's not going to win in Pittsburgh. He's not going to win in Philadelphia. Uh, Oz is going to have a very difficult time. And frankly, this state has not had a very good stand-up senator since Arlen Specter, uh, who also abandoned the Republican Party at one point. So I don't think this uh, state really knows who they want. Uh, Toomey did nothing. Senator Bob Casey, who's sitting in there now, he does nothing. So we're pretty used to uh, idiot senators who do nothing. Uh, So I think most likely 
they're going to try and go with Fetterman because he at least stands for something, and Dr. Oz does not. So if, yeah. uh, if Dr. Oz was winning by a razor-thin uh, margin, was his opponent bought off too? Um, no, Dr. Oz is going to get beat. And for the record, homeopathy is a well-respected traditional healing system. I was going to say that too, uh, uh, Dr. Felicia, um, which is like kind of weird that Dr. Oz is not pro-cannabis like in, in in this lane i understand that he wants to be diametrically opposed and really separate himself from john fetterman like on that issue but um like this is something that w- that would be something that he would take up i would think at least like i said dr oz will come around all in due time i think he's definitely on the wrong side of the issue i mean in pennsylvania you even got the amish who are growing hemp I mean, there is no way that people in this uh, state are against cannabis. The only people against cannabis in this state is the Republican-led legislature right now. It'll totally be interesting to see if the cannabis voting bloc uh, takes over this election. We need this Senate seat. That cannabis vote is not going to take over the the voting bloc, but I will tell you that Dr. Oz, I think definitely you are right, Gretchen, he has to win in all those rural areas. And the Amish do grow weed and they call it green corn. They call it green what? Green corn. Green corn. Huh. I thought you said green porn. That's what I thought too. <laughs> so have you had this uh, this green corn, Jason? No, I have not tried Amish green corn. All right. Well, let's keep smoking the news. All right. This pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's none other than Liz Rogan. Thank you very much. Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for joining us. My story today comes from MJ Biz Daily by Chris Casaccia. The headline reads, California targets cannabis businesses over unpaid taxes. In the past few months, the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration, which is CDTFA, has resumed enforcement against both unlicensed and licensed cannabis companies to recover nearly $200 million in unpaid taxes. And they're taking a page from the DEA playbook with raids and property seizures, which are then auctioned off to reclaim the unpaid tax funds. CDTFA spokesperson Tama Ademek said, quote, Now that the economy is showing signs of recovery, we are resuming our standard approach. And she said CDTFA is committed to leveling the playing field for legal businesses by enforcing tax laws against illegal operations. End quote. Uh, I should know that auction proceeds are applied to the debtor's account minus any fees or expenses. There's been a lot of this stepping up. So between March and May, two Compton properties sold for $50,000 and $256,000 respectively. A Whittier property went for about $310,000. But the CDTFA says that's just a portion of the $850,000 in taxes owed for that. They say that the unpaid taxes from both licensed and unlicensed operators in unpaid sales and use cultivation and excise taxes total over $187 million. They don't specifically track uh, sales on retail, but as we saw on March 1st with a raid on the Jungle Boys Collective, TLC, uh, they were raided by the CDTFA and law enforcement saying over an alleged disputed tax charge. This caused widespread attention for the entire cannabis industry as a show of force against like a licensed, long established business. So Jungle Boys said the $60,000 tax dispute, which was part of a $130,000 levy, was after they had already paid $18 million in taxes last year. Tracy Galagos of the Dwayne Morris Law Firm says that many businesses entered the regulated industry and were not prepared for the cost of licensing, compliance, and taxation. I would argue that many, almost all of us, were not anticipating the full cost. And she says, quote, if the CDTFA is overly aggressive in terms of resolving individual tax delinquencies, I think that may have the effect of people turning back to the illicit market, end quote. If you look at the enforcement timeline overall, this has been ongoing. Uh, the Cannabis Sales and Suppression Section, which is CESSS, 
was formed to address unlicensed cannabis operations. And then they're also like compliant, making sure that all the licenses businesses are compliant. And the CDTFA right now has 4,500 employees. They only have 40 dedicated to cannabis taxes program, which is less than 1% of their total workforce. They are requesting more money uh, to the tune of $882,000 to hire four additional auditors. So if they're breaking that down by... Uh, by four, 882K, that's uh, some pretty good money for an auditor. So this is a little scary because I think that we haven't seen these um, property seizures in a long time. I think that's gonna uh, really uh, have landlords backing off and other things. And so this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, Liz, the Jungle Boys were not raided. That was a till tap. You cannot compare a raid with that type of enforcement. Well, I think we've spoken about this in our channel with our attorneys and, and the, the word about raid is, is kind of a little bit uh, subjective. So I, I say this, that, I'll say this, have, being okay, someone that has been raided multiple times, when you get raided, you can't reopen. So you, you can't reopen at least until the warrant expires. And so therefore, since there was no warrant, it was not a raid. But what about the story though? Yeah, yeah, the bigger picture. Why, why, yeah, yeah, why are we talking about semantics here when people were attacked by the police? Give me a break. What uh, are the farmers still? Some of the farmers still holding back their taxes in a trust fund, and are they going after? I forget who it was. Was it Flocana that publicly said that they were not going to pay their taxes? It was Flocana, but I do wonder what happened because I don't think that Flocana is. Yeah, I don't think Flocana had the money to pay taxes if they if wanted alive. to. <laughs> I don't think they could have. So what happens there? They gone. They're gone. Yeah. So what? What are you gonna do? Go after them? I mean, holy <laughs> shit! <gasps> they raised so much money. Those investors must be so upset. Wow. And then the state doesn't get any of the taxes ever from them. I don't know, but I think that overall, it this shows that like the follow the money like. This whole carrot for legalization was the dollar sign, and it's just taken everyone out who really cared. And then the people who are trying to do it right are just also getting attacked. You know, people like say that they they report that they messed up, and then they're shut down and all these things. So it's horrible, perverse incentives to do it right. I totally agree with you, Liz. Thank you for bringing this story to us. But let's keep smoking the news. He's an amazing storyteller with a smoother delivery than the UPS guy on Heelys. All about truth, justice, empathy, and getting weed news stories to the people. This communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report was recently spotted exiting the nearest smoke-filled phone booth and is on stage now to hit us with a little Monday morning heat. Christopher Smith, what you got for us today, my man? Good morning, Rico. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Good morning, Susan and Jason. I hope you'll allow me another minute to do my story today because I, I have something that's uh, an amazing connection and, and quite uh, profound, at least for me. My story is from the Fresh Toast, originally reported on Benzinga. But for me, this story, again, was very personal and profound. It kind of fell from heaven. So here goes the, you read the headline there, you can see it. Cannabis, there's a study that says cannabis makes people better by increasing empathy and sense of selflessness. A new study titled Cannabis Consumption and Pro-Sociality, published in Scientific Reports and done by the University of New Mexico analyzed the psychological characteristics of healthy college students under the influence of THC. Turns out that young adults with recent marijuana use had better scores on standardized measurements for pro-social behaviors, empathy, moral decision-making based on principles of securing harmlessness and a sense of fairness. So there's a link to the report in the news story if you'd like to follow up on it. And it's a, certainly a conclusion that I think we can probably all get behind. And I'll tell you why I know that there's truth in these findings. This past week, I was in New York City at the CWCBE conference that was hosted flawlessly by our friend Gretchen Gailey, by the way. And I had taken a red-eye flight. I had a terrible hotel. I barely slept. I had two long days on the floor, evening events, no water, no food kind of thing, the usual sort of conference stuff. I was exhausted, dehydrated, working on adrenaline, but I, didn't really, I wasn't really aware of it. Thursday evening, I went to a conference event at, at, on the roof of a Times Square hotel. I ate a little bit. I had a big glass of water, club soda, no alcohol. I was doing all the right things. I had one dab. I was fine. About 30 minutes into it, I started getting higher and 
higher and higher. It was like being on an elevator that all of a sudden takes off toward the roof. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't stop it. My head was heating up. My sound went funny. The walls started wobbling and closing in. So I sat down on this little wall that was behind me. It was about six feet from the wall to the edge of the building. So I wasn't in any danger of falling or anything, but I knew I was in a crisis. I was 3,000 miles away from home. I didn't know anyone at the party. And apparently, I went over backwards. When I came to, I was unconscious, I I passed out. When I came to, I was being held by two people that I'd never met before. I'd never seen them before. It's a white woman and an African-American guy. I was completely out of it, and they looked totally terrified, which told me that I must have been in really, really bad shape. But the way they were holding me and supporting my body, I felt completely safe. And for the moment, in this sort of father, mother, Holy Ghost kind of thing I had going, I thought to myself, did I just die? Because I really didn't know. I didn't know where I was. I was very confused. I didn't know. But I knew that if this is what heaven was like, that I was okay with where I had ended up, I was okay with the way things had worked out. I couldn't even speak yet, but these are the thoughts going through my head. These faces told me that I was in a place I was supposed to be. I'm sorry I'm not really even being articulate enough to explain this warm feeling of embrace by these people completely different from me. They were strangers, but the ultimate friends to me. But it was really glorious. And so to Jenny and Dorian, in case you happen to be out here today, I am so profoundly grateful to you for being beautiful human beings. And to everyone here today, I want to let you know that I am completely 100% fine. I went two more days at the conference. I did two hours of interviews. I've worked out. I've been eating, drinking, tons of water. I know Dr. Felicia, I know I have more electrolytes, but I'm totally okay. Um, And in fact, I'm feeling better than okay because of these wonderful people and because of that experience. And it makes me think, it really makes me think about you all, because I know that my friends here would have done the same thing. This community is so profoundly humane and at a different level of humanity than any other group I've ever known in decades on the planet. I cherish these relationships and this community. It is special, and it needs to be honored and protected. So I'm going to take a right turn here, and I'm going to go in a little deeper into protecting and defending this special community. We all know that we have enemies all around us. We have legislators that are letting us down. We have law enforcement that's stealing from us. We have reefer madness idiots, industrial enemies, people who would say, as someone said about me when I was unconscious in New York, don't touch him. And thank goodness my angels didn't listen. But we all know who those enemies are. I want to talk about the enemies that we have inside the wire. People who are pretending to be our friends, but who attack us from the inside. People who are loud, but cowardly. They go on their social media, they throw cruel words at us and false accusations at our friends, at our community. These people who are saying these things are traitors to us. They're betraying us right now in the back channel, on their socials. God knows what they're saying out there in the world. I don't know why you would do this. You are people of talent and skill and experience and high levels of education, people whom any industry would be proud to include, why you would risk your integrity and your reputation to attack good people, I don't know. And what's worse, why would they do the work of our real enemies? Because who's happier than our real enemies when we start to fight each other? Our real enemies want to destroy us, our companies, our families, your companies, by the way. Why are you helping them? I don't know. But I do know this. It's got to stop. I don't know why, but I do know who. I know who you are. I know who you are betraying us under your own names. I know who's hiding in the shadows. I know who you are. I won't name you yet, but I know. And I know this. Understand this. The enemy of my friend is my enemy. We were brought here today over a year ago, over a year ago by Susan Soares, to fight for the plant that we love and respect. I've learned more from you people about what it's like to be a good human being on this planet at this time than in all my decades of life. We've done almost 300 shows together. We've told almost 3,000 cannabis stories together. We have 30,000 people in our community. On On behalf of myself, I am profoundly elevated and grateful to all of you, and I don't know why, I don't know of any other group or organization or company that's done this much. But to our enemies who are attacking us from the inside, I say this. Take your attack somewhere else. 
Use your power, your skill, your energy somewhere. What you're doing is not welcome here. You're creating yourselves. You are harsh in my mellow, boys and girls, because I know now that science says that cannabis makes us better humans, and I've experienced it in the most profound way possible. Thanks to Jenny and Dorian in New York, the most incredible experience a person can have. And I'm done speaking. Couldn't have said it better, better, brother. Thank you, Chris, for sharing your powerful story. I'm really fighting back tears here right about now. I'm glad you're okay. Um, definitely, uh, when, you, when you dab, you can have profound hypotension. Your blood pressure can drop instantaneously, and you can fall and really hurt yourself. I'm so happy that you are safe, and we are so blessed to have you here. Another powerful story from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. I mean that sincerely. Thank you. I agree. I think thank you to all the people who are compassionate and stay that way and stay aware. And um, I'm so glad, Chris, you are such an asset to the world. And I really appreciate you speaking the truth. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. We can keep it rolling. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. All right. Well, coming up next, I hope you guys are all ready. One visit to this doctor office is sure to get you all types of access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she will mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage, it's Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have for us today, doctor? Thank you so much, Jason. Um, happy Monday, everyone. My story comes from dailymail.com. Mayor Adams urges New Yorkers to light up as he vows not to be heavy handed on illicit marijuana sales before licenses to sell legally are issued later this year. And I must say, this is the longest title I've ever read by Ruth Bashinsky. Mayor Adams made the rounds at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Exposition event this past Friday. He was reportedly disappointed that there was no smell of cannabis in the air. New York is looking to roll out the adult use cannabis program in July of this year. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the legislation in March of 2021. Dozens of unlicensed story stores have popped up this year. Cannabis trucks have descended on Times Square. Mayor Adams is encouraging law enforcement to play it cool regarding cracking down on them. There needs to be a system of not heavy handedness, but going in and explaining to that store that, listen, you can't do this. Give them a warning, Adam said. If they refuse to adhere to the rules, then you have to come back and take some form of enhancement and action, such as summons, such as, you know, talking about their ability to sell alcohol, he said. The mayor has put aside $5 million from his executive budget proposal to help New Yorkers in applying for recreational sales and cultivation licenses. The, the mayor ran on a platform of cracking down on crime. Adams has been criticized for being too soft on crime, given the uptick of violence in the city and subways. Crime is up 39% for 2022. He did announce a plan to fight crime in January, which included increasing foot patrols, revising the Plains Clothes unit called Neighborhood Safety Teams, He's sending 1,000 officers into the transit system to handle crime and vagrancy. He has appointed a gun violence czar. I'm sure these moves will help to satisfy some people who have elected him. Unfortunately, poverty and inequality often tend to be at the root of most crime. It will take directing resources to things like mental health, housing, and education, for example, to help get to the root causes, not merely throwing more police at the situation. As the old saying goes, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Is the mayor on the right track? What are your thoughts? I think he's saying a lot of the good, uh, the right things, but um, I still don't trust him. He is the police. I trust you, though, Chris Eggers. You're my man. <laughs> I, I, unlike you, Rico, I do kind of trust the mayor. Um, we were very happy to have him come out to the event. Um, and I think like a number of law enforcement and former law enforcement folks uh, in the country, they are trying to navigate and figure out how to best deal um, with this industry. And while I do see, you know, his past 
being a concern, I also think he is also very interested um, in not putting uh, minorities behind bars anymore for, for just a plan. Um, so I do think uh, he will embrace cannabis. Um, and if he doesn't, I don't see him getting reelected. So that's another reason he will embrace it. Uh, I certainly think he's on the right track by making this announcement and signaling to all New Yorkers that this is a non-issue because, hey, uh, your possession and your consumption in New York is legal right now. But if you don't really know, you don't know where to get it. And you might otherwise think engaging in that behavior is going to get you placed in jail or get you in trouble for being the customer or the purveyor. And, you know, it's just nice that this announces to the world, hey, you want to get that cannabis on the corner of the street, you're not going to get in trouble for it. And you're not going to get in very much trouble for selling it. I was just in New York. And in a 30 block walk, I walked by at least two dozen traps. Um, it's really easy to find your cannabis in New York right now, licensed or unlicensed. I like that he's looking at overall the big picture and he's not like drawing these really tight boundaries. I think that will be challenging to uphold in the future. So I think it seems like it's a, it's a good approach and, and I, uh, I'm really hopeful for this. I wonder if there's gonna be an uh, uptick in more trap shops because of, because of this comment. Uh, we've got, hi, we've got Sonia up from the audience. Did you want to weigh in? What's up, Susan? Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, I just want to kind of like report locally. So my office is in Soho on Canal Street, which um, similar to Times Square is home to a lot of cannabis sellers from the illicit uh, market, mainly guys who are also selling like fake Gucci bags and I mean, every day I, I uh, go from Tribeca to Soho, they're, they're, you know, their weed is out and they're selling. And today I noticed for the first time, policemen were, you know, kind of um, there talking to the vendors. And when I walked by, I was eavesdropping and they weren't really talking about anything in particular at all. But like, I know these, I know these vendors, I know their, you know, their energy. And it was interesting to see, like, they were all very nervous to have the NYPD there, but I did not observe the NYPD threatening them. Um, they were really just, you know, having a conversation, but their weed had been put away. But any of those guys uh, or gals that are doing that stuff, aren't they putting themselves at risk um, for real legalization to even get their real license? We know, I... In, uh... I know the answer to that is yes, they absolutely are, but I don't think that these individuals want to apply for a license. I think that they want to stay in the illicit market and they're taking advantage of a, of a gray area. The OCM has come out before and sent cease and desist letters to some of these folks saying, if you don't stop, we are not going to offer you a license. Um, and from what I've heard from a lot of these folks is I'm going to make my money while I can. Um, I don't see these guys lasting forever. I think when the regulated market does show up, I think license holders are going to demand for a crackdown on uh, the illicit products. Will it be successful? I don't know, but I think there will definitely be a push to get rid of these folks once uh, license holders are in place. Yeah, that's worked real well in California. I was going to say the same shit, Jason. <laughs> the difference, the yeah. the difference between on. California and New York is that California illicit markets had quite a head start. Uh, they've been around for years and there were thousands of them. Um, I think it's going to be a different story in New York. I think you're right, I don't, Gretchen. I don't, think they, I don't even think they have a, 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 even a chance of that. I don't even think they have enough money in the budget to be able to provide the manpower to actually do that realistically in New York. But taking a step back, taking a quick step back there, uh, um, of the, the new mayor, uh, Eric, he did open back up, uh, was it the broken windows policy? So that's what I'm saying. I don't I don't trust him, man. I don't trust that dude. I agree with Gretchen. I think that the the the, the illicit market isn't mature like California's. I'm sure it is mature, but not like California's. And I think these people are just making money while they can. And they're going to go away a lot quicker than California illicit market. But we shall see. I forgot to do the room relight. I'm going to do that really quickly. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. 
thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Canada's News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Canada's or its members. The statements made in the State of Canada's News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Canada's and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Canada's News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Canada's or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Canada's or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do my story really quickly. Dr. Felicia, no, I have the world's longest headline, and it is Bill Maher predicts Republicans will steal the marijuana legalization debate and make it about freedom because Democrats are obsessed with slipping racial equity law into legislation <sighs> from the Daily Mail by Natasha Anderson. So Bill Maher can piss off conservatives and liberals equally. Friday night, he said, Republicans are going to steal the issue. I think eventually uh, he t was talking to a former Attorney General Eric Holder after being asked why President Joe Biden hadn't yet pushed for federal legalization of pot. Quote, I mean, it could be one of those freedom issues. I'm going to play a little clip of the, the actual show. Uh, this is for you. Why isn't Biden pushing for federal legalization of marijuana? Uh, I, I think it's probably something we ought to do, given the fact that it is something that would have a great political benefit and also deals with the reality. You know, people are using marijuana. It's being legalized. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've heard that you've heard that, you know. Um, and what's it like? Is it good? <laughs> I only inhaled. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that I think we need to catch up. Drug, our drug policy needs to catch up with what the reality is. Marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. It's ridiculous. It's, it is ridiculous. ridiculous. And, and Republicans are going to steal the issue. I, I think eventually. I mean, somebody like John Boehner works for a marijuana company now. Right, yeah. I mean, it could be one of those uh, freedom issues. Yeah. And, and, of course, Republicans smoke lots of pot, too. Um, there was... I, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> not enough? Wow, Eric Holder. And did he just admit that he consumes cannabis? You've come a long way, baby. Mar Bill Maher also noted how Republicans opposed the marijuana legalization passed by the House in April because of its language surrounding racial equity. Quote, now I understand the impetus to want to like, for example, if you're going to have new businesses that are legal in the marijuana field, yeah, they probably should go to the people who suffered the most during the drug war, Maher said. Republicans, of course, are saying that this is a deal breaker, unquote. He then went on went into this half a loaf analogy, which he got Holder to agree on. I think it's a bad comparison, in my opinion. It's more like letting the rich folks have a 75-yard head start in a 100-yard race. A uh, 2021 Quin Quinnipiac University poll real revealed that 62% of Republicans surveyed supported legalization of cannabis. 78% of participants who identified as Democrats also supported the measure. Regardless, only three GOP lawmakers, Florida Re Representative Getz, Brian Matz, and Tom McClintock of California voted in favor of April's bill to legalize cannabis nationwide. The article goes on to explain the who what, where, and why the Republicans may get to the finish line with safe banking, but ends with this foreshadowing comment. However, there is speculation that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell will likely block marijuana banking from being included in the measure. What do you guys think about that? I think, I think Bill Maher is correct in that it'll be perceived that Republicans are stealing the issue, but Republicans are going to pass legislation that can actually get passed, unlike the Democrats who want all or nothing. Um, that's what's going to make it look like the Democrats are losing the issue. I think Republicans are going to definitely break it up, make it more piecemeal like it should be so it could get some votes. Uh, but if you keep going the way you are, Democrats are going to go nowhere. And we all know Joe Biden is full on board reefer madness, so he's not going to pass it either way. Joe is not going to put it forward. I don't care what anyone says. I will bet someone a gazillion dollars. Joe Biden does not legalize cannabis. 
I think it's just the Republicans all switching because they see that's what people want. So they're just, which is good because that's what they should do, the will of the people. But it's like, it's also follow the money. We all see that. It's not Republicans switching. It's Republicans evolving on the issue. This takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of relationships go in to, to getting these members of Congress to um, whether it be um, our new allies or just get them off the playing field of not trying to harm us. It takes a lot of time, effort and capital. Yeah, I was going to say the last thing. It takes a lot of money. And it, seem, it seems that it's taken them 50 years so far. So any day now, Republicans, just fine. Any day. They need more money. I think they they see it as an inevitability and they'd like to see legalization on terms they're comfortable with. And they're really stepping up and trying to shape the landscape so it's on terms they're comfortable with because they know it's inevitable where we have some Democrats posturing on all or nothing type reform. And it's not going to happen that way. Like the Republican playbook is just more sound as working towards their end goal. Couldn't agree with you more, Brandon. Republican pay playbook is, uh, is just all about who has the longest pockets and who is going to pay us for the longest amount of time. And right now the cannabis lobby is broke. And the, to me, it's like, if, if someone's done their time, why would you have in the law that if you're a felon, you cannot participate in this industry for 10 years? If you are, it's like you're, you're really afraid of these people who've already been in the industry in the black market or legacy market. It's like, what are you afraid of? You're afraid you can't compete? Why, why, why do felons have to be sit, sit out? It's like, I don't know. It's, you're going to have to put something else with it besides just the, just the banking, you know? Look at, look at uh, California. And look at, I mean, we've had a legal market, not quite, or an adult use market for not quite 10 years. But the companies that weren't a part of the marketplace, that entered the marketplace, how many of them are still standing? How many of them are profitable? How many of them have lost tons of money? And many of those companies did not employ people who were from the illicit market, who knew what they were doing. The big business that doesn't know the market is threatened by the career cannabis warriors because they know what they're doing. They know how to grow good cannabis and they know how to move it. Yeah, well, I'm not a fan of uh, Bill Maher in the least. I do agree with him that uh, the Republicans are going to, and they, I think they already have stolen the conversation. It's just a bunch of posturing from the Democrats, but we do have to keep it moving here. Um, up next, she's the CMO of Event High, the disruptive digital event platform that paved the way for gray area functions when Eventbrite was way ahead of their time in cancel culture. With her latest project, she's co-host and founder of Blunt Brunch, a series shifting the narrative around what successful women in weed can look like on a Sunday morning, being productive as fuck while riding the wave of a Cat 5 crossfade at the same damn time. Up next, cannabis futurist extraordinaire herself, Adelia Carrillo. What you have for us today? Good morning. Happy Monday, everyone. Today's article is called Morocco Launches Agency to Regulate Medicinal Cannabis. So this past Thursday, Morocco's National Regulatory Agency, who is overseeing the use of cannabis for medical use, met for the first time in one of the last steps before legislation in the world's top cannabis resin producer. In 2021, the North African nation uh, adopted a provisional law authorizing the legal use of cannabis for medical, cosmetic, and in industrial uses and tasked a national agency to oversee this process. Now, this organization is called the National Agency for the Regulation of Cannabis Activities. It is chaired by Interior Minister Abdullah Lafitte. Uh, the agency will be responsible for controlling all stages of the production chain, from the import of seeds to the marketing of cannabis products. They're also going to be overseeing licensing procedures for national and international operators. And the agency will also establish, establish cooperatives of local farmers. Now, cannabis um, output in the northern African country was estimated to total more than 700 tons in a 2020 study by the Global Initiative Against transnational organized crime. 
But let's take a quick look over the history of hash in Morocco. Now, according to a 2020 report by the United Nations Office of, on Drugs and Crime, Morocco is the world's biggest producer of cannabis, uh, cannabis resin or hashish. It was banned in Morocco in 1954, but has been overlooked as its cultivation provides a livelihood for at least 60,000 families. Uh, they're farming across some 136,000 uh, acres. Now, the farming is concentrated in the impoverished uh, northern Rift Mountains, and the kingdom hopes that cultivating cannabis for medical use will become a lucrative business and place Morocco on the global market. Now, according to Morocco's interior, minis interior minister, <laughs> the market worldwide is growing at an annual rate of 30% and by 60% a year in Europe. Uh, recreational use of cannabis, however, will remain prohibited in Morocco. Um, and one other note with this is, you know, even prior to this conversation, Morocco has seen a huge push with cannabis tourism already. Cannabis tourism has grown to become an important and dominant source of wealth for growers, dealers, and unofficial tour guides alike in Morocco. Tours are not officially advertised and mostly occur by word of mouth. Uh, they have hash pressing tours, consumption, and sales, or sorry, it says hash pressing tours, consumption of the drug, and sales are still illegal. But unofficial, unofficially, the combination of these services has made the North African region one of the largest exporters of hashish. So who's ready to see Morocco make this stance on medicinal cannabis? I'd love to hear from our team on the stage or anyone from the audience who, have, who may have some insight into Morocco. This is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'm so ready for this. This is great news. Jason, do you have experience with Moroccan hash? insane experience with Moroccan hash. So much experience. I think this is definitely a hashy tale. Great story, Adelia. I love to hear what's going on internationally, and especially when you look at terpenes and other areas. I mean, like a lot of these areas like Morocco, I know have hashishine and other things. So I, I think it's great with the tourism. I'm really excited to personally go check it out. And Morocco's been doing their thing for decades too. They've been they've been at the epicenter of a, a, a lot of the, uh, the the cannabis industry out there. Um, we just haven't been hearing about it forever. The other thing is it also makes like medic medicinal cannabis uh, more legit. I think as more countries, everyone comes on board with it. Oh yeah, it's obvious there's some national friction going on between Americans and police officers. Some say defund, others want reform but our next correspondent took a different route. He chose to leave the force, become a cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions, and join our team reading the damn weed news. We salute you, brother. Uh, Jason, thank you so much. Good morning to uh, Susan Rico, everyone else here in the room. Uh, my article today comes out of the San Luis Obispo Tribune, and the headline reads, this is, this is a wild story, smugglers linked to California homes pretended to be FBI agents and stole from EDD, feds say. So, in one of the more bizarre recent cases, the FBI says it has broken up a nationwide marijuana smuggling and unemployment fraud ring whose members impersonated FBI, DEA, Secret Service agents, and made up phony federal search warrants and court orders. Details on the case are laid out in a 45-page criminal complaint. Uh, they do have some cooperating uh, folks with them, and I'll speak to that right here, um, because it, this investigation started in, in May of 2017 when there was a seizure of two suitcases uh, at the uh, Atlanta International Airport after Delta Airlines flight arrived from Oakland, California. Suitcases were retrieved by a uh, uh, air quotes or quotes Moody Minks associate. This is the name of the organization uh, who is not named in court papers. Uh, red flag number one. And agents later found luggage containing more than 31 pounds of uh, marijuana. The individual only identified as Associate One was later convicted in federal court uh, and began cooperating with investigators um, in Georgia. Associate One identified a photo of Moody and indicated that um, he knew him as Q. So that's how they started to identify some of the folks. And then the investigation continued to Placer County Sheriff's. Deputies showed up at a house in Loomis, which is uh, a little bit outside of Sacramento on the way up to Tahoe uh, after a report of suspicious activity. It's there that they say that they learned that um, this individual Moody and Minks were renting this house. Um, they said that they found a couple suitcases full of marijuana outside the house. Um, but this is where things get really weird. So some folks in this organization are uh, alleged to have made uh, several phone calls to law enforcement agencies, and I'll go through four of them right here. Um, a series of calls in July 2020 in which Minks allegedly posed as an FBI special agent, Amanda Sanchez-Greens, to disrupt the sale uh, of a Newcastle home. Um, 
there is no such FBI agent, according to the affidavit, and then calls the Coma Police, which is in the Bay Area on October 2020, uh, from a woman identifying herself as Michelle Smith from adult probation in Redwood City in the U.S. Secret Service in Washington. She was looking for information about a vehicle that had been seized and found to have uh, a loaded 9mm handgun inside of it. The FBI says there's no Secret Service agent by that name. Uh, another call to... Um, Let's see, this was a call to a federal officer um, by the name of Betty Yu or Betty Yi. Um, no such person exists, and they were looking for other information. And then calls from a, uh, another another phony call came in of a man claiming to be a San Francisco gang task force officer looking for information on a Betty Yu. Uh, the FBI says that Moody made those calls as well. Um, ultimately, they seized, uh, and, and this group is alleged to have been moving uh, marijuana all across the country uh, from California. Um, some of the folks are still outstanding, and it's just it's just wild to. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would love to read the affidavit because I would love to know if any um, information was obtained from these phone calls. I think it's uh, that's pretty brazen, but it could work um, if you know the person on the other end isn't doing their due diligence, um, and so. I just thought it was pretty wild. This is a really long article, but those are some of the highlights. Uh, happy Monday to everybody. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting on the State of Cannabis News Hour. Chris, in all your years of law enforcement, did you ever run into anyone with balls like these people? This, this story was just wild to me. I mean, they had they had someone show up with a tow truck at a police impound facility to pick up one of their cars. Yeah, pretty pretty brazen. But I mean, I can tell you that. Um, I haven't seen that myself, but again, I've worked around some folks that are, uh, I would, I would say this nicely. They're just not that bright. And so if they didn't do their due diligence, I could totally see something like that working, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but wild to read really good article. Um, Susan put me onto it. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Our next correspondent has got a beer game damn near as deep and strong for his love of cannabis sativa itself. A cannabis and IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs coming straight out of Long Beach and bringing us home today is Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us today, my man? Thank you for having me. Today, my headline comes from Forbes, as reported by Joan Olek. It's the rapidly expanding cannabis industry needs to get its marketing act together, a new report finds. The study was conducted by New Frontier Data and the Cannabis Marketing Association and concluded cannabis companies are falling short when it comes to marketing goals, with roughly four out of five businesses self-reporting they were having problems getting the right message to their audience. The report, the 2022 Cannabis Digital Marketing Survey, How Cannabis Marketers Are Chasing Their Share of a $32 Billion Market, was released in anticipation of this week's Cannabis Marketing Summit in Denver. Presently, 148 million Americans live in adult use states and 248 million in medical use states. And even though there is big money in cannabis, a projected 32 billion in combined sales this year, marketers within cannabis still report they are limited by financial resources. Most of the 100 cannabis marketers that participated in the study identified themselves as small businesses, only 22% of the businesses reporting $5 million or more in annual revenues and 32% reporting a million or less. 23% of those surveys did not respond or did not know how much money their companies generated. The responding companies reported their marketing departments had five or less people in two-thirds of the companies and 47% had marketing budgets of less than $50,000. Marketers focus those limited resources on social media and top of funnel awareness campaigns, with digital marketing being the lead strategy, with 83% of respondents utilizing it, followed by events and public relations. The digital marketing category was led by integrated ads, 55%, and then email communications, 50%. The data showed that marketers are underusing channels that perform well, including email marketing, which was deemed the most successful by the cohort. Social media marketing was led by LinkedIn, 79% of users, and followed by Instagram, 78%, and then Facebook, 60%, and Twitter, 58%. Respondents acknowledged they fall short in tracking their behavior and monitoring it for key performance indicators. The participants in the survey did self-report that they do not all understand their buyer, with only 58% having conducted research on their customer, meaning 42% of the respondents are blind as to who their customer is. Lisa Buffo, founder of the Cannabis Marketing Association, noted that marketers, quote, struggle to use the information to iterate and improve on their efforts, and that there is a gap in the feedback loop. 
In addition to dialing in your customer, other advice to can a business coming out of this study are to do a better job of tracking your key performance indicators, doing more A-B testing of campaign variations, and simply using more digital marketing channels. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandon, for that headline. Go ahead and click on the link and read it. I'm going to skip the ending of the show because we're over time. Thank you so much, everyone. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Let's do another one tomorrow. Thank you. Happy Monday, everybody. Bye. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you, too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it, today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.